Welcome to episode 113 of No Challenges Manning, live from the middle Sunday of Wimbledon. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined in the middle by Courtney Owen. Hi, Courtney. Hi, How Ben. Are you? I'm doing well, and yourself? How's the middle Sunday treating you? I know it's a much bigger day for you as I look at you in your Alex Morgan jersey, ready to avenge some, some losses. Avenge some losses. Was I strutting down and through Wimbledon Village, wearing my Alex Morgan jersey, buying Budweiser, and other American-based goods. Pringles. Pringles. We got some Pringles. We got what they what Tesco called American pizza, which is a pepperoni pizza. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a bunch of things to prepare for this evening's midnight viewing party, because unfortunately for us, it just sucks. We were talking about it, right? It would have been so cool if this was on Saturday at midnight which was the 4th of July, and we would have been able to have middle Sunday so we could sleep in. But no, a, a small but uh, hearty group of writers will be uh, descending on the SI apartment uh, at midnight tonight to uh, take it all in, so I'm pretty excited about that. Including our Japanese friend Aki, who you have been exchanging <laughs> such amusing trash talk with. And I'm so excited to see what happens there. It's so great because if you know Aki, she is like just the, the sweetest, n- sweetest, nicest. She's she's our good friend. She reports in Japan. We'll definitely have her on the show at some point. Yeah. Probably when the tour heads to Tokyo. She's great. Spoiler. She she went to she she lived in L. A. for like a number of years. Her English is great and stuff, but her trash talk has been epic. She told me that she would be here tonight with beer and a handkerchief so that I may wipe my tears when the U.S. loses and that they will kick my ass. <laughs> it's also great. Uh, several asses have gotten kicked at Wimbledon, segue to the tennis. I mean, most of the players have lost by now, but there are still 16 remaining, each men and women, some expected faces, some less expected faces. What's up, Dennis Kudla? Um, yeah, so overall impressions on the first week before we get more more into it? Um, a pretty quiet one. I think on the whole, for the most part, you know, the favorites that you thought were going to win have won. They've won fairly easily. But at the same time, you've had a few, you know, dramatic matches. Obviously, Dustin Brown taking out Rafael Nadal was quite good. You had uh, Heather Watson coming with two points away from knocking out number one Serena Williams. That was shocking. We'll that talk was, about that, yeah, we'll get into uh, that a little bit later. I mean, I think those two matches were kind of the highlight in terms of getting the adrenaline up. And then you also had, you know, that Kerber-Muguruza match, which was, to me, the best full-out match of the entire tournament so far. Shot for shot, quality for quality, really great stuff. So um, I think that as we sit here on Middle Sunday, we look towards the second week, and you thankfully still have a lot of uh, great storylines intact. Definitely, definitely. And so let's... Can I go turn off yeah. the thing? Because it's going to keep yeah. beeping, I think. Yeah. Sorry. No problem. Had it open to start with, so might as well just keep it. I think it's fine. If there's like another siren that goes off, we can pause and look yeah. for that. Okay. Um, okay, let's start with the top half of the women's draw, which was started out for the stronger half and it's gotten even stronger, especially with the loss, which you didn't mention in the lead about Patrick Kvitova losing. Uh, the one I don't really talk about that it. was the one real like <laughs> shortlist favorite who did lose so yeah. far though. So that's something that was the most yeah, significant upset right. so far. Um, the, most, the one that had the most impact on the draw. Definitely. 
But let's start with the top half of the women's, and let's start with Serena Williams against Heather Watson, because that was, I think, the most dramatic match of the tournament by far. The stakes are enormous. I actually was, I was on my way to the Wimbledon Library. Uh, Serena was up 6-2, 4-3, and I decided to pop into center court, just be like, oh, I'll watch the end of this, and then head on my way, and I thought it would be like two games, I thought Serena would break, and I sat down, and Heather Watson reeled off six straight games, and it was so loud in there. That was what people, I kept telling people, like, I've been in center court quite a bit at this point. I've definitely never heard a women's match anywhere near that loud, um, and it was, roof was open, and uh, it was amazing. Yeah. The atmosphere there was incredible, people were all in for Heather, and I think that Serena was rattled by that. Yeah, no, for I mean, for sure. And we've seen this happen, or at least I've seen this happen here at Wimbledon with respect to, you know, what happens when you put, you know, a Brit on center court and you, I don't know, just kind of see what happens. And um, it, the atmosphere, because I was out near Henman Hill, which was packed out, everybody, as this match was unfolding, as the upset was unfolding, potential upset anyway, um, the hill got so packed they actually had to shut it down, mm. didn't let people up there anymore because um, it was at capacity. And it reminded me of a couple of years back when Laura Robson was on, I want to say center or number one court, and she was playing Marina Arakovich. And number two court. Actually. Number two court, okay. And it was, you know, for a spot in, I guess, the fourth round. Yeah. And Arakovich was totally oh, leading. Oh, she was choking like a yeah, dog. Yeah, she led, and then she totally choked. And the big reason that she choked was because of the, because of the British crowd. And, um, and I was out on Henman Hill, so I didn't know what it was like out on number two court. But on the hill, everyone, that was the match that was on the screen, and everyone was living and dying with every single shot, and you could hear it throughout the grounds. And it felt a lot like that. You knew exactly what was going on on center court yesterday, and it was, it was reminiscent on some level not full, but on some level, to when Murray won Wimbledon. Like, in yeah. terms of, like, the chorus of the hill and center court kind of converging. <laughs> and it was not a match people saw coming. I mean, I didn't expect Heather to give three that much of a test. I, no, I think everybody was really laughing three at the idea. Three and three or something. People yeah. were, I think, laughing at this idea because, obviously, we're in Britain. We see the BBC coverage. We hear the things that commentators say. And there are a lot of people who were really talking up Heather's chances and there wasn't any reason to believe no. that she could do what she did against Serena that day, which obviously is what makes tennis so great, is that on any given day, any single person can play the match of their life um, and uh, and deliver uh, something memorable. And uh, she, all credit to her, that was the best I have ever seen Heather Watson play by a, far, by a wide margin. Yeah. Um, and she really didn't lose that match. She got beat because Serena, when she needed it, that power, the accuracy, the line clipping, and the serves were yeah. there. There wasn't much of a letdown from Not, Heather. Yeah, really Heather wasn't. didn't choke that. Heather just wasn't the better player on the day, which is what we knew. Yeah. But she made Serena Williams uh, come up with some magic, and that is the, be the that's all you can hope for a lot of times when you're you know a low ranked player playing her. Heather, when I was sitting in there, as the press section got fuller and fuller, as the match got closer and closer, and everybody wanted to see it, I was thinking, like, if the Serena Slam bid, if the Grand Slam bid has to end, this would have been sort of a cool way for it. It would have been a memorable way for it to go out. I mean, like, much better than her suddenly flopping against Team Ayababos in the previous round for no reason, or, or even her losing, let's say, in, like, the uh, quarters to Azarenka or something. I just thought this sort of moment of, like, national, like, of Britishness, Thinking Serena would have been amusing to some, and it would have, it was a very, very climactic feeling match, and it was, I would think, easily one of the best uh, women's matches of the year in terms of sheer drama, atmosphere, all that stuff. So nothing but good things to say about that match, really. Yeah, no, it was great, and and thankfully um, Serena did come out on top because I, I don't know if I buy into the whole. It would have been a cool way for it to end. 
uh, for Serena. I think that, that, and as we look forward, you know, we'll talk about the Serena Venus matchup, but um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it was definitely peculiar though. I mean, she, she felt rattled and, and, you know, I was talking to another reporter about this um, after the match and I was saying, you know, I, I, on some level, I wish that she would kind of take a stand and say, you know what, that crowd was out of control in a lot of ways. Cause because they were on some level in terms of the shouting out, in terms of just calling out, calling balls out that weren't yeah. even close to being out, you know, things like that. And, and it's incredibly distracting. Uh, she, there's a great vine of her telling the crowd, don't try me. That was I a love. great moment. Because yeah, she had that. gone up, because there have been several like fake out calls from the crowd during the previous point. She went up to Cotter Nooney, who, as usual, was not doing a great job regulating the match. And she said, can you just like, please like, tell him to stop doing this? And as she walked away from him, as she was talking to him, they started booing her for being a tattletale, and she just turned this particularly loud corner of the of the crowd, and it was like, it was a great Serena. It's great. It it great to have more Serena quotes. Yeah, 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 really for is. sure. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a rough crowd, but that's you also know that that is going to be what happens. Anybody who plays Andy Murray is going to get that, you know, on center court. It's just this is what happens everywhere, apparently, except the U.S., where we boo John Isner when he plays Gael Monfils. So, yay America! I don't, I don't know about boo. But Not we, boo, but, you know. We boo more for Gael Monfils. Yeah. Uh, let's just go through this sort of drop. We haven't, it feels like a lot has happened since our last show. We haven't done one since the tournament started. I'm just looking through this top corner. Ostapenko, feels like a long time ago, beats, uh, killed Carlos Suarez in the round nine seed. 6-2, 6-0. That was a really weird match. Carlos was so flat, and Ostapenko is hitting winners at will. Um... Benchich gets through a section playing on court 18 three times, I think, randomly. Um, and really has gritted her way through yeah. because she's not fit. I no. mean, she, she has a, a leg issue right around her knee. Um, somehow people have not been able to put her away. Bethany Maddox-Sands led Benchich 5-1 uh, with a shot to get to the fourth round um, and lost 7-5, 7-5. Uh, just a lot of people, you know, she had to go three sets against uh, Freedsome. She had to go three sets against Peronkova. Um, it hasn't been an easy road for Belinda Benchich, who now plays Victoria Azarenka. She hasn't been convincing to me, but in the big scheme of things, what an incredible grass court season she's yeah. had. She's, it's been near flawless. Final uh, for Togenbosch, uh, lost the second round, I believe, to uh, or third round to, I uh, uh, can't remember who, but uh, in Birmingham, won her first title, finally, WTA final, uh, in Eastbourne, and now the fourth round of Wimbledon. And uh, So we'll see. So that's pretty good for her. So elsewhere in that section, Anna Ivanovich lost to Maddox Sands. Not a big, not a shock, I think. Anna's never done really that great at Wimbledon, and Bethany played well. And Bethany's results-wise, pure out, obviously she's had injuries, but she's a better player than her results have been, and her ranking has been for sure. So yeah, I was not I, shocked by that whatsoever. I liked a, a, a comment I got on Twitter uh, from somebody who said, you know, when Bethany's a qualifier, shouldn't it have, like, an asterisk next to it? Because she's not really a qualifier. Right. Like, you know, and I was like, that's a very good point. Yeah, so the second quarter has been pretty quiet, really. Um... The one match that surprised me in here was Coco Vandeweghe, fairly routinely by Vandeweghe's standards, taking out uh, Carolyn Pliskova, five, uh, six and four. Pliskova, I thought, could really make semis out of this section if she'd played well, and she had done well in grass before. It just wasn't wasn't her day. Yeah, uh, I, I, I called that upset, and the reason why, because I thought, same as you, that she was a dark horse at Wimbledon, but she needed three sets to get past Falcone that was not in the first round, and I was like, I don't think that you're exactly entirely... and. She's not a reliable slam yeah, uh, so far, performer yeah. in her career. So until she proves that she is, I, I'm a little bit 
I, I've decided to take my foot off the gas pedal on the on the Plisco train at the majors. But okay. I mean, she's great. You know, we know what the talent is and what she can do. She's in still in good Singapore position. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. So we'll see what comes of her. Sharapova's been uneventful. I haven't barely seen her this tournament. I feel like just because she hasn't been in any interesting matches. Um, Diaz makes the second week Wimbledon for the second straight year, which is under the radar weird. Uh, Coco played even better against the next match against Stoser, winning 2-0. and Virtual bagel. Virtual, down, ba- down da- virtual double 12, bagel, yeah. Yeah, virtual double bagel. Run, ran off 12 straight games. And interesting from Coco Vandeweghe, because we talked to her afterwards um, in one of the small interview rooms, so there's no transcript of it. But um, she said the last year in Acapulco, she took a bad loss. and and Well, basically she said that she had it took her some time to deal with some demons. Um, but now that she has, she's better. And I was like, can you tell us what those demons are? And she said fitness. She said, you know, everybody's always told me I'm slow and that I'm not fit and things like that. And I, and I always kind of didn't really listen. But after a, a loss in Acapulco last year, she was so mad at herself that she recommitted. And so, yeah, her diet's changed. Her fitness regimen has changed. And we've seen in the last 12 months the payoff. You know, she won Sir Bosch last year. She's she's climbing up the rankings slowly. Um, and now, first, fourth week at a major. Um, interesting opportunity against Safarova, who hasn't looked dominant through, no, her, not first, at all. Uh, Saf- her, through her run. But Safarova very well could have lost to Allison Risk first round. That was yeah. a very close Should have lost to Steven. Should, and should have lost if Sloan hadn't really faded away in that match, losing 6-1 in the third. Uh, yeah, Safarova a couple times looked like she was going to go out. Uh, Sue Wei Shea didn't give her much trouble, though, <laughs> in the second round. Uh, bottom, yeah, bottom half of the draw before we start looking ahead in the women's. Um, it's been more there was a weaker draw by far to start with, and it's got, it got much weaker quickly. The top two seeds are out of it. Petra Kvitova losing to Yelena Yankovic uh, on Saturday. Biggest upset by seed and by sort of favoriteness so far on either side of the draw. Uh, what were your thoughts on JJ, of all people, pulling off the biggest upset of Wimbledon? Petra Kvitova, two-time Wimbledon champ, playing at her favorite tournament on her best surface, losing just three games through her first two rounds against Yelena Yankovic, who hasn't made it past the, I want to say, third round here since like 2010, 2009, something like that, playing on her admittedly worst surface. She still doesn't like it. Uh, Absolutely phenomenal match from Yelena Yankovic. She was so good. She was so good. I mean, that last set, um, especially, you know, her ability to break Petra and rattle her a little bit in that second set to steal that, having been a breakdown, because Petra was up a, a set and a break, and looked well on her way. She looked, you know, kind of the same Petra that had been there for their first two rounds. And, and, and Yelena started to find more depth, and she started to find the angles. And next thing you knew, you were watching this match, and it was Petra doing all the running. She was getting yanked from side to side and side to side, and she just looked completely disjointed and discombobulated out there, and obviously a very disappointing loss from her, and she, and she looked very disappointed after her, yeah. after the loss. But she's shocked by it. I mean, there's no reason for her to see this coming. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, she did say that she didn't feel great in her second round match. She she said that something, you know, it was hard to kind of. She said she wasn't coughing or feeling ill. Obviously, we know that that's always something that is a, a danger with Petra, but that energy levels or legs, something that, that something was off for her in her second round match. She said. And then as the match progressed um, against Yankovic, uh, the legs got heavier. And, um, you know, is that nerves? She says no. Just because she says it doesn't mean it's not necessarily true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to me this is more of a tip of a cap to Yelena. I agree. Because I think that Petra started that third set very slow, 
There were opportunities for Yelena to make the breakthrough early. She didn't. But as the set progressed, she did play better, I think, Petra. And then Yelena made the move at the very end. So it, it was just a great match from her. It's a cliche I don't love, but it really did look like Yelena was playing with like nothing to lose. Yeah, she was playing really with did. a lot more freedom, a lot more joy. joy she was chattering joy. with the cloud. We know JJ loves the stage. We know JJ loves the stage, and this was very much a stage. She brought along her super fan from Court 18. I don't know if you know this, saw this woman, this late, like kind of crazy lady who's sitting in the front of Court 18 in her previous win over Rodina, who took her three sets after she went 10-8 in the third against Vesnina. So JJ was not having a stellar tournament before this. And like this lady was like, screaming for her the entire time. And afterwards, JJ brought her like a bottle of Gatorade as a gift. People usually give towels. She was like, here's a Gatorade. <laughs> but then apparently she gave her center court tickets, which is a much better gift. That is better. Um, so, so JJ is now there in this section, which is now very open. Uh, also featured an exit from Makarova was the next high seed in this section, lost to Rybarakova, who finally won some grass matches at Wimbledon after being a great Birmingham player before. Um, but then she lost to Gavortseva as a qualifier, who really has not had to do anything too heroic in this tournament to make second week, but she's still here as a lowest-ranked player on the women's side. Good on her. And then Radvanska's had a nice little renaissance here in, on grass. I mean, the last couple weeks seems to... Have replenished, slowly, slowly turning it around, yeah. Have replenished what she looked out of gas. She looked sort of burnt out first part of this year, I think it's fair to say. And now she looks better, and the draw is there for her. She's the high seed in this quarter of the draw now, and the last player, obviously, facing Gavortsva next. And what has been a gift of a draw, because she hasn't been playing great, is Madison Keys. Yeah. And Madison Keys was with the, um, is, is in there. Let's talk briefly about the player who got key, opened up Keys' path. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard. I mean, what's to say? I mean, that hasn't already been said. You know, this is a slump. She's fairly, you know, aware of a slump. You wonder a little bit sometimes. You know, we talk about great champions, and we talk about um, one thing that I think across the board great champions have is an incredible sense of delusion. They can talk themselves out of any situation. You look at a Roger Federer. He's incredibly Mr. Positive. Like, yeah. even the worst loss, he's like, well, there's positives to be taken out of it. Or people say, oh, you're slumping. And he's like, well, I've actually been playing really good tennis. I don't know if you've been watching me, but yeah. the quality's been really good. It's just been a little unlucky here and there. I played great against Andrea Seppi. He, he just yeah, won. exactly. He's just, you know, uh, Rafael Nadal even. I mean, as real as Rafael Nadal can be, he can also be like, you know, I'm playing better, I'm playing better, you know. And I think that Bouchard, I, I, there's a part of me that wonders whether her bluntness, her self-awareness, she knows and she is copying to this absolute crap form, whether or not that actually hurts her, that that actually like um, feeds the spiral, the downward spiral, as opposed to, okay, I'm losing, I'm playing better though. You know what I mean? Even if she's wrong, no. you know, like, but at least I'm playing better. I mean, in practices, I'm hitting the ball really good. You know, like, I just have to make it translate. Everything can change, you know, the next week. You know, all these, you know, the, those cliches that you hear from other players, you really don't hear those from, from Jeannie Bouchard. Um, she's definitely down in the dumps uh, mentally, no. and, and it, it's, you know, it's really hard to watch. It's and tough to That match against Ying Duan, who is just not a good player whatsoever. Sorry, Baby Flower Chinese Davenport. Baby Flower Chinese Davenport. It was would play it one with the kind of relative ease of the fact yeah. that, that that baby flower Chinese Davenport was able to like dictate play large against Jeannie and yeah. Jeannie was coming in with an ab tear which she was very quick to point out interestingly in her post match press she brought that up right away which is fair if she was she was if she if you're compromised it's totally fair to raise the issue yeah 
I, I get very frustrated with players who are like, oh, I don't want to use that as an excuse. I'm like, I'm not asking you to use it as an excuse. I'm asking you if you're injured. Yeah. That those are two different things. Like, not whether or not the injury is why you lost, but just are you injured? Because that is a totally relevant consideration. So let's see. Do you think she should get rid of Simic? Um. Because I asked her. She was open to it. Yeah, she was open <laughs> was to it. Way. I know. Yeah. I was actually pretty surprised. Um. I don't think so, no. Why not? I think that... Sumik has always been a guy who has been a more long-term coach. That results don't necessarily manifest themselves immediately with him. And as much as we, it's tempting to tag these results to Sumik, she was playing not great after Wimbledon last year. Yes, she had that Wuhan final, the one, the one thing. But otherwise, and she made Australia quarters. She did, but like that's without Sumik. Yeah. No, oh I yeah. Know. No, I see what you're saying. But like, it, but yeah, but like, she, like, but it wasn't like she made Australia quarters, but she didn't. She had a nice draw. She had a nice draw, but she still was winning matches, which she Fair hasn't enough. been doing with Sam. Fair enough. But the signs had already been there that a potential letdown was going to happen. So I really don't think that you do split with Sumik. I think Sumik's a great coach. I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's. And the other question is also, if not Sumik, who? That's fair. I think you dump Sumik immediately. I think it's been. I think he's been a boulder tied to her in an ocean of failure, and she is just sinking with such speed. And she's gonna eventually hit the bottom, and you don't. And she could be pinned underneath him. But I'm just not sure. But the thing about it is, I think that that. Why keep doing it though? I don't. I don't no, but it's not. Yeah. But but what if the problem isn't Sumik? What if the problem is? Look, you know she she. She needs a she needs a fitness coach, coach first of all. She okay. needs somebody to come in, get her back physically where she was last year. It's impossible to ignore the fact that she has lost muscle she's mass. She's so thin. Right now. You know, it's not about thinness. She's lost muscle mass, yeah. and and she's not as strong now as she was 12 months ago. You see that in her weight of shot. You see that in her movement. One of the amazing things that she was able to do uh, last year was that her strength, particularly in the lower body and, and in the core allowed her to hold that baseline, absorb power, and redirect in a way that she's not doing right now. She's getting pushed back, and it's because she is physically weaker. That's a problem, and she needs to rectify that. And unfortunately, within tennis, you don't get to hit the pause button on the season. Not you know, you gotta, you gotta, she's going to have to go to Toronto and play her next tournament. She's next to Washington. She's next to in Washington, you know. I mean, it, it, it's tough for her. And, you know, and, and uh, I do think that having this Wimbledon result now behind her is important. I think now she can. I think the chatter will be more of a whisper. It'll be more of how forward. does it not like? Oh my God, look at her falling. It'll be more how do you recover? Right. Like, it's I the think, redemption I think story the first now. Wimbledon is the rock. Losing to Ying Yang Duan is the rock bottom. It really can't get much much worse than that. Sorry, Chinese flower, uh, baby flower, Chinese Davenport. It's hard to say. It doesn't. It, no, it doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it's not. The, <laughs> But I, yeah. And Ying Ying is a totally lovely name on its own. We should call it Ying Ying, maybe. Yeah, sure, yeah. But sure. the nickname is just too good. It's just too good. Anyway, I just say get rid of him. By the way, that Washington draw for the women for being an international yeah. is amazing. It's strong. It's Azarenka's there, Bouchard, Stoser, Stevens. No, Ben, I'm Makarova, not going to D.C. Makarova, you know, a lot of stuff. Did she say that? No, I'm saying you. Oh, I'm, sorry. T- I'm like, stop trying to pitch me. I thought to that was your city. Sloan impression. No, 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 no. I don't have a Sloan impression. Um, no, I was saying, as good as that draw is, I will be in Stanford. Oh, of course you will. That's fine. That's <laughs> totally fine. I'm just saying, for an international level tournament, it might be the yeah. best international level tournament 
ever. Arguably, if you look at if you, I wonder if you average the ranks if it's actually better than Stanford, which is a premier level tournament. It's going to be close. It's going to be closer than it should be for yeah. the disparity in prize money and points and all that. Uh, let's go to this last section of the draw, which we just skipped ahead to Kvitova, but the third section of the draw was led by Simona Halep, speaking of slumps. Credit to Jeannie, her slump has been so spectacular that it's co- given a lot of cover to people like Halep, Simona Halep and, 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 and Grigor. And Grigor, yeah? Yeah, those are the people... Well, I mean, yeah. No, Grig- I, Grigor, to me, is a stall. It's not a slump. It's kind of, You know what I mean? Like... He's not taking losses where you're like, where stall, did that come from? in the airplane sense, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe. He's, you know, he's, 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 he, he went up too high, too fast. <laughs> too high, too fast. Stall. He's on bad autopilot. Yeah. Um, listen to 99% Invisible. Yeah, listen to the, yeah, 99% Invisible if you don't know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, Yana Chepilova channeled peak Charles in <laughs> form. That match was so fun. Like, that it was, was joy. Yana Chepilova, I was remembering during this match, because she completely disappeared after that amazing Charleston run. And she was back in full Chepelovianness, and it was amazing. And then right away she faded in the next round against Nicolescu. It was gone. But you know, like a dying, like a dying star in the in the night. If if you can just get the glimpse of the Chepelova when she burns so bright, right before she burns out, oh, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a, it's gift. a gift. Are you worried about Simona Halep? I'm not worried about Simona Halep. I think that yes, I do. I think that she's slumping. I definitely do. I've I've said that before. Um, I think that Simona Halep needs maybe a little bit of time. You think about it as, as the last couple years, um, 18 months really. Uh, well, no, two years now that um, that she has been on the rise. It's been kind of this nonstop chase to kind of almost for Halep to see how good she can be, you know. And with every player in the history of their careers, there's always going to be that six-month, one-year. And this could be happening to Bouchard, but I don't think that it's happening to Bouchard. I think Bouchard's slump is a little bit different where they need to actually take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and they need to reassess. I think with Halep, I do think that that, that splitting with Wim Fazette was just bad idea genes yeah. on every single level. They, those two, I think, worked really well together. I think that she wasn't happy maybe with, with Fazette and what he said uh, at, at, in Singapore about, uh, about possibly uh, uh, maybe they should have lost that match to Ivanovic yeah, sort of thing. Um, but, I, you know, there was something there. But the, the, the pairing with Victor Ionita, which is no longer the, uh, uh, a thing, uh, I just really don't think it was really all that great. She's in a kind of regroup and reassess phase, but um, I'm not too worried. I, I, the, the red flags aren't on. Is, is it orange alert? A little bit of shade, a shade under that. Thanks, Tom Ridge. Yeah. They, they, um, the things that worry about Halep is just she seems not worry but I think my sort of diagnosis of it more than worry is that she seems to be very sensitive right now yeah. a lot of external factors that have been bothering her she was saying I read some quote this week that she was bothered by something that Nastasi said about her playing for Porsche playing for money yep. over playing for Romania because and she skipped the Fed Cup tie against Canada in order to prepare for Stuttgart right. and she got blasted by Tyriac there's been a lot of stuff I've been I've been hearing uh, in terms of the way that she's been written about in Romanian press, that she apparently she reads all of it, and that's not good. Uh, that's a thing about that, right? Like you hear about you, on that day when both Bouchard and Halep went out, they both talked about how they, they about the media, and about like, man, maybe maybe the media will now write about this, or you know, the media when they're like Bouchard said, you know, when you're winning, 
there's nothing but good things said about you. And when you're losing, it's like it's the end of the world. And I'm sitting back there as a member of the media being like, why are you reading the media? Yeah. Don't read the media ever. Not even when you're doing good. Don't do it. Just listen to your mom. If, your mom, if your parents love you, you're happy. Like, don't worry about it. Do not read the press. We're talking only to do players. The rest of you, please keep supporting your written press. You guys you. don't do it either. I don't care. But, like, just kidding. Just kidding. But, like, with players reading press, I'm just like, but... And there, there are other players. I don't know if Simone is this, but there are players who search their own name on Twitter constantly. Yes. There are players who do who go out of their way to find things that will bother them. And not, not, not that, not that people, not that Gazunhai, not, not that people don't, um, not that non-players don't also do these things because they do. But you know, it's just detrimental. Players' psychology is such a huge part of tennis and confidence in tennis, and all that. The rule in the internet: if you operate on the internet, don't read the comments, and that applies. Tweets? To tweets, that applies to so many things to keep your own sanity because there's a lot of people out there who don't know what they're talking about, including members of the press, yep. and they're going to pop off, and you don't necessarily need to hear it because it's neither here or there. What the hell do you care, you know? Agreed. Uh, also in that section, the high seed remaining in the bottom half is Caroline Wozniacki, who got through to Kimla Georgie easier than I thought she would. I didn't get to see much of that, but I thought Georgie would win that match. I think we both picked Georgie pre-tournament. Wozniacki got through 2-2 two and two to play... The winner of the aforementioned Great Muguruza Curver match, which was Muguruza. Uh, I want that on DVD. That first set, that 83-minute first set. Saving nine-set points Ugh. in the first set. How'd you do it? It's so great. How'd uh, you do it? And Kerber was so good in that first set. Yeah. So good. I thought Kerber makes oh, semis in this section, even before it fell apart with Halep. I thought Kerber was making semis. She was looking good. And the other person I thought might do better, but came into hit a wall was Sabine Lasicki, Wimbledon perennial do-gooder nah. here. Uh, she'd made quarters of better quite a few times in a row that she'd played, and she got thoroughly stomped in a in an efficient way by Tamea Baczynski, 6-3-6-2. It was kind of brilliant, too. It was not uh, clo- as close as the score would indicate. It was really not. And the the surprise candidate from this quarter is Monica Nicolescu. Who Romania em- forever. Who emerged from the rubble, and there was some rubble that included... Christina Pliskova. Last Pliskova standing. I know, that was surprising, making third round uh, at, the, at the slam where she won junior slam. So it was good to see Chris Plis get on the board a little bit here and have her first real result beating a terrible Svetlana Kuznetsova. Uh, and Smikova actually was a pretty good win too because Smikova yeah. made fourth round here last year. So Nicolescu, who, whose game is finally translated to grass, it should have all along, yep. but she never really didn't like the footing or the movement of it, but now she's comfortable and doing well. And so there's some interesting matches. I mean, let's be clear, I would be shocked if the winner of this tournament came from the bottom half. But it's going to be fun to see who gets to the final. Yep. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a fun ride. I think you can make arguments, real good arguments, for six of them. Yep. Uh, well, Sorry, Gavortsma and Nikolescu. Well, five, actually. Five. <laughs> I wouldn't say Yankovic can make the final either. I'd be surprised if Yankovic made the final. But she's a confidence player. I mean, we see her string yeah. together out-of-nowhere runs all the time. But Wozniacki, Muguruza, Baczynski, Radvanska, Keys all have legit, legit shots at the final. And it could be very fun to watch. Oh my god, what if Madison Keys makes a Wimbledon final? It could very well happen. The draw is there. I mean, look at her draw. She's got Gvortseva and then Radvanska or Yankovic. Radvanska on grass. If Radvanska keeps playing well, that could be ugly. But remember when Madison, a crappier Madison than the Madison that is the current iteration, came very, very, very darn close to beating Radvanska That's right. here. Uh, two years two ago. Two years ago, right? Epic match that still, if you talk to Madison Keys about the most heartbreaking match she's ever played, 
she will point to that Redvanska match, that it was just soul-crushing because she was there. I don't want to say she had match points, but she was maybe a breakup in the final set or she, something. I think, I think she saved a lot of Redvanska ma- um, making stuff up, but I think what happened is it was a very, very, very tough second set that she won mm. and then lost like 6-4 in the third or something. Yeah. And it was, But anyway, it was, it was a great match. Uh, who do you think, if you had to pick, pick a name in this bottom Out half? Out of the bottom half? Yeah. Uh, screw it. Madison Keys. I'm wearing my USA kit. I'm all about America this weekend. It was 4th of July yesterday. She wore some awesome freedom kicks. Uh, check my Twitter feed if you haven't seen the photos. Uh, I'm going to go out on the limb. I'll say Madison Keys because you're right. You can roll the dice anywhere in here. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Caroline. I think she's playing really well. I don't think that Muguruza can do it again. Um, what she did against Kerber was some special stuff. And I, I think that she would need that same level to knock out Caroline. Uh, and then you get a Caroline Bachinski, I think. That's a pretty tough one to call. Um, again, though, I might pick Caroline there. I mean, if I were to put on my like straight-up analytical hat, I'll probably say Caroline through this section. But um, I, I, I think there's a path there for Madison Keys, and she hasn't had to work too hard um, through the first uh, the first week. So she's fit. She's fighting. One of the funnier moments, one of my favorite moments, uh, was actually the Keys press conference after she beats uh, not Tatiana Maria, but uh, Kulishkova. And we were in the small interview room, and she, her, she had her agent, obviously, Max Eisenbud, in the back of the room, and then also Mary Jane Orman, who kind of does PR for IMG and is a bit of a handler with all of their IMG clients. They're both sitting in the back of the room in two moments. First... When I was asking Madison about the fact that she's working with Scott Burns now uh, as a physio. He's come on after the French Open, which is great. And I think a lot of that is to help resolve that leg issue that um, she, she continues to have issue, the adductor yeah. issue. So, um, And I said, so you're fit? You're good here at Wimbledon? And she said, yep. And then as I was sitting next to Max and MJ, they started like like vigorously knocking on the, uh, the, the wood chairs in front of them. So obviously that's a concern. And then there were questions about Madison... Um, staying in Lindsay's old uh, place where Lindsay stayed, which is one of the big buildings behind uh, Orangi Park. And she said, yeah, I might go actually visit Lindsay because she has a pool, but she actually she has a trampoline, so I might go jump on the trampoline a little bit. And the look of absolute terror and fear exchanged between Max and MJ was classic in terms of like, what the, what the hell is this kid talking about? They're both like, trampoline, trampoline, what? And uh, so clearly Team IMG is very concerned about keeping Madison Keys healthy. During Wimbledon at yeah. least. And, and <laughs> that 30 Rock thing where they're like, you know, less people die in trampoline accidents than you would think. But <laughs> they don't feel like they're, they're like, you know, the number of people who die like hit by lightning and buses together it's only the same as the number of people in trampoline accidents. Um, I'm going to go completely different tack. I don't think Madison will make the semis. I, um, I think she'll lose to Advanska. I don't think Madison's been impressive here. I think she looks not great against weak, weak opposition. I think she'll get through Gavortseva. But I'm going to have Radvanska versus Bachinsky in the semis. And I think, I don't know, that's going to be tough. But I'll take Aga. I think it's okay. the return of Aga this tournament. Oh, man. Aga, Serena 2.0. Are you picking Serena through the top half? I mean, we didn't really Let's talk about... Let's go to the top half. Let's go to the top half, you guys. I didn't pick near the quarters. Well, we haven't that. really even talked forward on the no, top half. No, I know. That's what, that's what we're going to do next. So let's talk about Serena Venus. Obviously, it's <sighs> happening tomorrow, so we're not going to spend too much time forgotten what will happen. But let's talk about Serena and Venus playing for the first time at a slam in seven years since they played in the 2000... Sorry, six years since they played in the 2009 Wimbledon final. Um, gosh, it's, 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 
this is a match that kind of like makes me lose a little bit of sleep. And the reason why, and, and I wrote this for, for SI in my match preview, is we know what the professional stakes are for Serena. I mean, there's so much on the line here, right? I mean, you know, she's going for slam number 21. She's going for her first Wimbledon title in, like, what, since 2012? Yep. Yep. Uh, she's going for the Serena slam, uh, all these sorts of things. And so the professional stuff is on the line. But the personal stakes for Venus Williams are high. And that's where I find this to be so compelling, what's going to happen on Monday, because the minute that Venus and Serena pulled out of doubles on the heels of, of Venus double bageling Madison Bringle, yeah. you knew that it was because Venus thought, you know what, I got a shot here. I, I think I'm playing pretty well. I can, I can do something. I don't want to waste my time on doubles. And how many runs is Venus going to have? How many? I mean, and it's not to say that this it gets any easier for either of these women once they That's win the here. Thing. Like, if Venus is on the bottom half, she'd be such an easy pick to the final. She'd be such yeah, an, she'd easy be an easy pick to the pick. final. Yeah, yeah, and she's true. not. And now, if she even gets by Serena, that's a huge if, obviously, because Serena is Serena. Um, she then gets Vika, or ben, Vika most likely, and maybe Benchich. And then she gets Sharapova, who she doesn't have as good a record against as Serena. I mean, no one has as good a record against Ser- Sharapova as Serena does. Um, we know. And it's just not going to get any easier for her. And then she could get Aga, actually, who's if, or whoever. She may, Venus in the final will so that's a whole different beast. But yeah. we'll see. I, it's going to be tough for Venus. And it just, yeah, when the draw ceremony was made, I was just knew that was the one thing that could happen was the fourth round Venus Serena. I didn't want it. It happened immediately. And I was like, ugh, boo. I, I just wish they were both around longer because it's so cool having them both still around. I was rewatching just a highlight of their 2000 Wimbledon match 15 years ago. It's a totally different era of tennis, and they've transcended and lasted for so long. And uh, it's it's gonna be hopefully it's a great match. Yeah, hopefully that's the thing. Match. It's like hopefully it's a great match, and hopefully, if it's a great match, it is remembered to be a great match because Venus made it a great match. Because one of the things that becomes so frustrating, right, and obviously it's, you know, seeding, draw, whatever. I mean, there are a lot of different factors that go into this, is that she played that incredible match against Petra Kvitova last year. Yeah. People kind of at this point don't remember it. But you remember, like, that was the level that Venus could hit on grass here at Wimbledon. You know, um, she played pretty darn well and then kind of collapsed against Madison Keys in the quarters earlier this year. I mean, she she could have made the semis. I mean, she was a – we were a Keys away from Serena Venus semi yeah. in, in Melbourne, which yep. we forget about. And I think that these losses kind of, I know that I'm guilty of it, which is why I guess I'm talking about it, is they kind of make me forget how good Venus still is in a lot of ways. Because yeah. remember, you didn't pick her to make the I didn't. Round. I mean, when Ben said that this, we had this whole debate the last time, I was like, I think it's bullshit that we're even talking about it. I think Venus could lose in her first three rounds. She clearly heard me, proved me wrong. And this is her big middle finger, and I accept it uh, wholeheartedly because I'm happy to see her in the fourth round. Imagine Venus giving someone the finger. It just looks, She's looks weird. She's too regal. She's, She's too classy. Too She's too classy. She'd give you a look, which would be so much more soul-crushing. Yep. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, I, I just – I really, I really want to see Venus bring it. That said, I really do, I think, want to see Serena get through here. I, I want that calendar – slam on the table when all set, all this is said and done. The stakes are really high. With respect to American tennis, um, if that happens, uh, in terms of coverage, uh, media focus, Serena's kind of stature uh, right now. So it, for kind of the quote-unquote good of the sport, I want to see Serena get this done here at Wimbledon. But um, 
I really want this to be a good match. And I, I want Venus to bring it, and I want Venus to be able to play so that absolutely no one can ever, at least for the next year, bring up the R word. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that would be nice. That would be nice indeed. Uh, let's, the other part of the draw, I think, I think Sapphira, uh, sorry, I think Sharapova is getting to the semis with kind of relative ease yeah, here. Sharapova, Sapphira. You think, Corf- Lucy hasn't been good here. Lucy beat her on her best surface. That's true. <laughs> and this is a better surface for Lucy nowadays than it is for Maria. So That's true. But I think Maria's been good. We'll see. Maria's been good. Maria hasn't had really been challenged. I mean, when you get when the seed that you get is Begu, I think it's hard to gauge exactly how well you're playing. Can we give a shout out to Arena Camellia Begu's remarkable anonymity? And I realize that as in the media that I'm somewhat g- creating this because I never talk about her like she's a thing. But she's been a seed and a sort of a person like who wins matches at Grand Slam. Beat Caroline at the Open a few years ago. Right, for a long time. And I feel like she just has no, I could not tell you a single, like, Begu fun fact. Like, a single one. But then how much of that is also Arena Camellia Begu? I don't know. I'm just curious. If you guys have Begu fun facts, send, send, them, send them. Hashtag Begu fun facts. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Um, let's go to the boys now. We've neglected for over half an hour of the show, more than that, which is pretty remarkable of us. Um, but the reason probably why, though, is because the favorites have come through. There's been one massive upset, uh, but even then there's an argument as to whether it's massive. But otherwise, we're about to enter into what is effectively an ATP Masters uh, tournament. Can I tell you the player who I think was the most relevant player to lose on the men's side so far was Ronic. I think Ronic was a much bigger contender at this tournament. Than, uh, than Nadal, and he got a tough draw. He lost to Kyrgios, and that wasn't even a shock, because, I mean, Kyrgios obviously beating anybody in that sort of range is with how much... <laughs> there was this, I forget, I should attribute this, but I don't know who it was from. Someone on Twitter quote, was quoted in some article saying, like, the amazing thing about Nick Kyrgios is that he's almost as good as he thinks he is, <laughs> which is, like, really good. That's actually amazing. That's right? a great quote, yeah. yeah. I mean, let's, talk, let's, let's pause for a second. Okay. Because I don't know if we've really ever... Let's talk Nick Kyrgios. Okay. Let's do this conversation. Okay. Because he has... You know, if you haven't written a think piece about Nick Kyrgios, I haven't done it. I don't think you have. No. Nope. Uh, then you're pretty much uh, uh, on the outside looking in because everybody's written a think piece about Nick Kyrgios. And yep. everybody's weighed in on what he means to the game and uh, what he should or should not mean to the game, I guess, in a lot of ways. Ben... What does Nick Kyrgios mean to you? Okay. Nick Kyrgios, I think we ta- I think we've talked about this before sometime. I think we've talked about him being essentially he's exhausting, but he's also good for the sport in a way that like him being someone who people are thinking about is provocative, who makes people feel things about tennis. So many feels. That's what we want. We want that in tennis. We want somebody who is uh, divisive and polarizing and makes people care. People care about Nick Kyrgios deeply. I mean, the sort of stuff that he's written about him now in Australia. The Australian media was so unbelievably slurpy with him during uh, Wimbledon last year, which was totally fine. And, and the Australian Open. And the Australian Open this year when he was starting to have much more worse behavior and they could have been a lot more critical and they were just totally kids' gloves with him the whole time. Now they're starting to be like, hey, maybe this kid isn't the best ambassador for Australia or whatever you want to call it all the time and turning on him a bit. Um, but he's backing it up and that's the thing that makes it so great is that he is... Um, his mouth is writing checks that he is cashing. He is cashing them, and bless him for it. I mean, I, I'm over the whole Nick complaining about Nick Kyrgios and the way that he behaves, and and I don't mean that insofar as like I'm not like I'm not going to do it. I'm totally going to do it <laughs> because there are things that he does that I just that I just personally don't enjoy. That being said, 
how many people watched the Kyrgios Raonic match and how many of those people were watching because of Milos Raonic? And if Milos Raonic were playing somebody else, would you have been watching that third round match? Speaking of that, the audacity of Nick Kyrgios, the audacity to completely steal the sleeve <laughs> as a look is amazing. And he came off court after his first match, which was against Diego Schwartzman, and he said... Like, some that under, interviewer asked, like, BBC interviewer asked him, like, so what about the sleeve? And he's like, I just want to do something no one ever done before. And I was like, oh my god, are you serious? He's right, though. He wears it on his non-shooting arm, which I think is super weird, because I'm like, why did the heck do you need compression on your elbow that is not your, like... But is that the elbow that he's injured? The left elbow? Because then I would understand it. Not unlike... Because Raonich kind of had it initially because he had a rash on his arm. Yeah. Um, which always still, to me, seems so weird, because I'm like... How do you? How does like putting a sleeve over a rash make the rash better? But I think it was blocking it from he, he the sun or something. Sun, yeah. But yeah, I mean, been rash talk with NCR. Yeah, exactly. And this has been. If you have thoughts, if you have rash facts, let us know. Hashtag rash facts. <laughs> oh boy. Um. But yeah, no. With Kyrgios, look, there's just no way around it. The kid is good for the game. He's box will office. He will he alienate hardcore tennis fans. Absolutely, because hardcore tennis fans are used to a certain level of kind of decorum and traditional... Especially in the Federer era. In the Federer era in particular. But is he going to get the random deadspin reader, the random just general sports fan to care about tennis, especially in the States? Absolutely, he will. And in Australia. And in Australia. So I don't see why anyone should want to temper his temper. I mean, they should want him to just let Nick be Nick, and if that. But that being said, should the ATP step in and fine him when he does crazy shit? Yes, yes, step Absolutely. in. If he's cussing, you should be fining him and giving him violations. He shouldn't be getting away with that stuff. But if he wants to keep doing it and keep writing the fine check because his sponsors will basically be like, "You do you. We'll pick it up." So let him do it. No. Who gives a shit? It doesn't hurt anybody. It really doesn't. And honestly, it modernizes tennis. It brings tennis into the new modern era where we can finally get, you know, a, a broader base of youngsters who watch NBA, who watch football, who watch all these other sports to actually be like, I don't like any of the other guys because they all seem square, but that Kyrgios, when he plays, I'm going to tune in. That is a victory for the sport. Kids, I'm sure kids love Kyrgios. I would have to think. If I was a kid, I wouldn't. And I will say this, too, love. in further defense of Kyrgios, because the, the best PR move he's made in his entire career was playing mixed doubles with Madison Keys. Because everybody wants to think that this 20-year-old kid is a jerk, that he's an asshole, uh-huh. that he's a bully. Uh-huh. He may have those aspects of his personality, what 20-year-old boy doesn't. Uh-huh. But you talk to the other young players about him, they all like the guy. They re- I mean, every single one that I've talked to does and they recognize like Madison's like I'm gonna talk to him about his behavior I don't know if he'll listen you know things like that like they're aware of kind of who he is as a entity it's hard to be unaware of Nick Kyrgios let's put it that way right that's Um, fair but but you know they like him so I think that in a lot of ways that does on some level kind of give you context to to Nick Kyrgios as a person he is complex and we should kind of understand that it's not either or just like you wouldn't cast like a a uh, WTA player as like a bitch or a nice girl you wouldn't do it and Nick Kyrgios I don't think that you and the guys you shouldn't look at and be like he's a bad guy he's a good guy it's like no these guys are incredibly complex as well 
think we've seen that with quite a few players, and Nick is just one of the, the next ones. So Kyrgios is in a section of draw now, which I had Ronich getting semis here, but he's now taking that path and has Stan there. I think he can totally make semis in this draw easily. I think Stan's weakest surface is grass. Gasquet will be interesting. That was a tough match last year. Gasquet's playing well. I haven't seen him, but he beat Dimitrov easy. Speaking of Dimitrov, Dimitrov and Ronich were both semifinalists here last year. who both lost within an hour or so of each other um, on Friday. Uh, Dimitrov, thoughts briefly on him as, yeah, as we sort of I do mean, our slumper update? Yeah, I mean, uh, is he stalled out? Absolutely. I mean, has he... Coaching change? I think coaching change for him. I really do. I think that um, Roger Rashid has done, did an incredible job with, with Dimitrov last year in, A, getting his fitness up. Remember, this is a guy who used to cramp like, whoa. Yeah all the time. So his physicality improved. His ability to compete really improved. Yeah. You haven't seen that competitor's fire from Dimitrov this year. You know, when he gets down in matches, he gets down and hasn't really been able to turn it around. So that's been incredibly disappointing, I think, from Dimitrov. I think that if that's a signal that maybe, you know, everything he, that, that he's kind of heard everything that there is to hear from Rashid and he isn't, he, and he's like no longer processing, no. then yeah, it might be time for a change. Uh, so this upper section of the draw, we have Dennis Kudla, who I know you talked to here. Dennis Kudla is the last American man playing the lamp. The um, lamp. The lamp. Uh, I love lamp. He, he, has, he did not have the cake draw, I wouldn't say at all, because he had Cuevas, who was the seed first, and Zverev is a very tough, is a dangerous floater. I thought Zverev won that match easily, and Kudla came through it. Coming back from in the third set when Zverev served for it at 5-4, broke back in it, and then he won a tough five-setter over Santiago Geraldo, so he's uh, been competing really well, making the most of his game. He's a great grass quarter. I mean, he's been someone who was uh, in the picture. He lost that U.S. Open final, junior final, against Jack Sock, which would have made Jack Sock a household name within American tennis. Kudla, he made him. He made him. He did make him, and so Sock lost first round, and Kudla is in the fourth round. First of first American guy in a while to make second week. Uh, since Marty Fish and Brian Baker, I think, did it together. Oh, Brian so, Baker. I know. You just made me sad. Oh, I miss you, Brian Baker. Kuba, I don't think, will beat Chillich, but it's been a nice tournament for him. Thoughts on talk to him, you were talking to him before? Yeah, no, he, I, I've talked to him before, but not as extensive, like more in press conference than, yeah. um, than uh, kind of I sat down with him for about 15, 20 minutes to just kind of get his story and pick his brains. Uh, super nice guy. Um, you know, great he's so story. Happy. Yeah, he's so happy. I mean, he's he's like just, you couldn't, he's on cloud nine right now, which is great to see, you know. You kind of, yeah. it was kind of refreshing in that way because some guys come into that situation and they they start putting on game like face. Like too cool for school. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, I want more. And he's like, this is awesome, you know. Like, so, um, you know, and, and, and it was incredibly refreshing to talk to him. And I, I put the interview up on SI.com. You can read more on it there. But, um, yeah, I thought a lot of what he had to say, especially about how his game translates to grass and why grass is his best surface, was really interesting. He's, he got the main draw. He's ranked at 105. He got the, the main draw wild card thanks to uh, winning the Serbaton Challenger, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Sidebar, quick shout-out to Wimbledon for doing the whole grass court challenger winning wild card thing because it works. Kyrgios yeah. got it last year, yeah. made the most of it. Kudla making second week this year. That's a good point. It's a good it's system that works. It's a great system. Um, but yeah, so he got the main draw wild card. He saw the draw. He saw it with, there was an opportunity, and he said that he never got. He's never felt the way that he felt when he arrived here at Wimbledon at any other major in terms of his confidence, which was sky high. Um, and he made the most of his draw. And, and and this is the thing is like when you talk about a lower ranked player making a run, you know you can sit there and say like cake draw, cake draw. I mean every single player that he played is kind of more of a clay court specialist than yeah. grass court. I mean he's better on grass 
like his game gets amplified on grass more than any of the game, the players that he played, sure. even if they were like better players than he yeah. was. And they all probably were. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know his ability to compete. Got he had a he left USTA, got a new coach right before uh, the first grass challenger. Billy Heiser, who's Tim Smeechek's coach. Yep, and uh, it's been it's been going incredibly well. And uh, yeah, you you can't not be happy about for the guy because he. What really made me kind of smile was I asked him, you know, who's been your mentors on tour? And I was kind of expecting him to say, like, oh, Isner, like, you know, like the typical answers. And he's like, Michael Russell, Robbie Ginefri, and, uh, and Bobby Reynolds, because those are the guys that he was around all the time when he's on the Challenger tour and picking their brain. And, and that was kind of nice to hear, you know, because obviously then the advice that he's going to get from those guys is going to be about work ethic. It's going to be, and it's going to come from a different place. And I think that that's really helped shape him in a lot of ways. Michael Russell's a kind of ideal mentor, yeah, I feel like, in sure. the way he approaches the game. And yeah. you talk about somebody who, Michael Russell just does not have the most talent, bluntly. Maximizing and ability. And he just works so hard at it. Uh, Djokovic has gotten through with relative ease what we thought would be a very tough draw. He hasn't dropped a set. Uh, won 4-4-4. Four, four, four. Sorry for doubting you, Novak. 4-4 four, four over Cole Schreiber. Good match, but every single set, Cole Schreiber had that one let down. Uh, played Neiman and Easy. I didn't think that would be hard, really. Especially I think after most people thought that he was going to be playing Hewitt that that match. So. That's true, and Hewitt uh, kind of had a bit of a collapse there. Oof. As he's, I mean, that's the thing about Leighton Hewitt's like last, like it's been going on a while. It lasts like five years. He Damn. has been the worst. He's so nervous in like in like crucial situations. He's he become makes a Madison basket of nerves. Look like a look like a robot. Yeah, and it's the opposite of what Leighton was known for originally. I think he's lost something like. And it's not just that we were going to say, like, oh, it's his foot problem. No, it's not. It's when he gets to big points, he's playing terrible. He gets so tight. Watching him score lines, you might say, oh, it's his endurance. But no, it's really more mental. With him, uh, Djokovic, Anderson, Anderson's not going to be a pushover. But, and neither will Chilich. Chilich getting through that match with Isner, assuming he gets past Kuba. But Djokovic seems on track. He seems on track. And, and I do think that, that we're looking at a French Open rematch in the semis with, with Novak and Vavrinka. I have been very impressed, Stan Vavrinka, who's in that bottom section of the top half of the draw, uh, with how he's played this tournament. Hasn't lost a set, has looked incredibly dominant throughout his first four, three matches. Um, no French Open letdown. No. And I've got to say, I've been pretty surprised by that. Um, you know, this, maybe this is a new Stan. We don't know, you know. But he plays 16th seed David Goffin, who uh, made his way through a pretty, pretty easy section of the draw, beating Zabayos, Brody, and Baghdadis. Uh, to make the fourth round, um, and then we've got that Curios uh, Gasquet, which which should be fun. I mean, I would love to see Curios make a run. I would love to see Curios Vavrinka, especially after their little uh, tête-à-tête uh, in the press after their Queens match, where yeah. uh, Vavrinka kind of called Curios out for his whining a little bit, which I love. Let's please just keep doing this. Like, if you have feelings, share them. Yeah. You mentioned like, Liam Brody. Yeah. Can I give a quick shout to Liam Brody yeah, for putting massively. up with some ridiculous bullshit from the British press? Uh, they lash onto the story very quickly first round. It, it's and give it's, some context and to John the story Worth, and John Worth and talked about it too. Basically, the the short Cliff Notes version of the Brody story, and it's not that complicated. Is that basically his older sister Naomi, uh, also a player, also a player, was also in this draw. Won a round here last year. Lost first round, a winnable first round. She lost this year to Duque Marino, um, and she had her cu- funding cut from by LTA when a photo of her came out posing provocatively on some night out. And it really wasn't that provocative. It wasn't that bad. Anyway, the fuddy-duddies at LTA got all up in a titter about this and, and cut off her funding, and the family was very upset. And the father. The father was very upset. and yeah, Father, at least. And Naomi presumably was, too. Uh, Basically Liam, took them away from LTA. Yeah. 
And then later on in their career, LTA sort of came back for Liam Brody, and Liam Brody accepted funding, and it drew a, it drove a wedge between him and his father and Naomi for a bit, but I think Naomi and Liam have patched things up. And but he and his father aren't speaking, and so then he goes out and wins this incredibly great draw against out of shape Matasevich, uh, which is a terrible match. But he comes through and comes back in five sets to win it, and he gets all these questions about like, will winning this match bring your family back together? Like, what would it say about their family if beating Matasevich was all they needed to fix their problems? <laughs> That's like the shittiest thing you could ever say about a family. <laughs> Look at it that way. Like, how bad would it be if this match actually did change anything? <laughs> So no, and so they Marinko so, Matosovich brought our family together. Oh, it's the worst. And so they were on like tabloid front pages on it, and it makes you appreciate how much Andy Murray's had to deal with, and how yes. and how well he's done it. When you see these people who were not who were, I mean, in Brody, both Brodies, to their credit, handled it with. They didn't make any real missteps. They were classy. They just should not be raked over the coals by the press. I was I was were. actually really really impressed by Liam Brody's composure and professionalism. Yeah, he's a really he nice was guy. Getting, he's a super him. nice guy, and his beard is epic. Like that should go it's in NHL like, playoffs beard. It is like the bros, the lumberjack bros in the Pacific Northwest would bow down and build monuments to this beard. It's so wonderful. He's done some interesting things with his head in the past. Yeah, he's Brody. had that he, weird ponytail he, he thing for a while. Weird, like samurai ponytail for a while. He had like a lot of weird piercings at the Australian Open, yeah. including one of those like metal bar thing yes. through his ear. No. I mean, he's done a lot of things with his head. But he's, he's he, I mean, he handled it really well and kind of like laughed off and, and dealt with a lot of the questions head on. But, uh, because but, yeah. we sit next to the tabloid row here and yeah, you can see do. them just like, and they're not, they don't know what they're talking about with Tons of Tennis. They just don't have any idea what's going on, which is not their fault because they're, I mean, this. bless Nick McCarville, because Nick McCarville sits actually right next to the tabloid row, yeah. like he's like right over the aisle, and w- during the Jeannie Bouchard non-story about the bra, oh my God. Um, they were like going to run this thing like front page about the how the All England Club cracked down, she got this code violation because her black bra was showing, blowing it completely out of proportion because she didn't get a code violation, nothing actually happened, it was just the umpire noticed something and radioed in. For in the event that she wore it again for the next match, that they would catch it before she came back on court. And Nick actually went over to the tabloids and was like, you guys, stop. seriously stop. Like, this is not a thing. She never got a code violation. And, they're, and they, were, they kept pushing back against them. They were like, no, this is a great story for us. Like, we're going to, you know, and he's like, right, but it's not a story. And he actually kind of like talked them down. Before I, they ran with it. I, the, only, the only thing I corrected them on this week was when they were getting all excited about Dustin Brown's Bob Marley tattoo. I was like, that's not Bob Marley. It's not Bob Marley. It's his dad. It's his dad. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. And so they, they need some... We don't... I don't... I'm late to say with them almost. Yeah, always, I don't but, deal with them But they're getting something pretty clearly wrong. Anyway, uh, so Djokovic is through here. Bottom half of the men's draw. Let's just keep going to that. Uh, this upper court, upper eight, where Davi Ferrer pulled out... Uh, and gave that great opening to James Ward. James Ward took advantage of it pretty well, yeah. um, winning matches over Vanny, which was not hard. And then Vesely's a solid win, uh, beating him's top 50 player. Uh, very solid win for James Ward. And, and then tough. he... Like, lost at 8-6 in the fifth to Vashik Pospisil, yeah. which is... Which was the, not a good match. That was not a good match ugly. at all. But Pospisil comes through there as he should have, because Pospisil, underachiever at the Grand Slams for sure, with all the talent he's had. In doubles, he shows it. Um, and he made the final of Washington last year. I mean, he's got game. He's gotten a, quite a few good looks at top players and And everything. bad luck with injuries. And bad luck with injuries. So he can make quarters here. He's got Troy Ski next. Possible's game is tailor-made for grass. Big serve, big forehand, first strike, very stereotypical grass court, successful guy. Uh, I, I think Troy Ski will get through that. Yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> I think Troy Ski wins that. Troy's a better player. 
But, uh, yeah, and then Andy Murray gets through so far no real drama minus that one shoulder timeout yep. mid-stepping match. And that wasn't Do we need to talk about medical timeouts? No. Okay, good. I don't, think I don't so. want to talk about medical timeouts. We're not going to talk about that, don't worry. Karlovich <laughs> through beat Sanga. Uh, let's get the other match in this section, which I almost looked over. Dustin Brown beating Rafael Nadal before losing to Troitsky. Uh, thoughts on Brown beating Nadal, which we sort of circled in our preview show. Being like, this could be something we thought maybe not. Like, best of five, would Brown be able to sustain it? And he totally did. He totally did. I mean, a, I mean, a great performance from Dustin Brown. He did what we know Dustin Brown is capable of doing, but he, and that he knows he's capable of doing, but he actually did it. And, th- and those are two different things. I mean, we, we he had that great winning over Leighton Hewitt. Uh, what was it last year or a couple years ago? Two years ago. Two years ago, and, and, and kind of followed it up with a complete flop. Basically did that a little bit again, although he played better against Troisky. Troisky is just on an absolute roll on grass right now. Um, I don't know, think the flop last time was even that bad. He lost to Manorino, who was, it was obviously like you expect more from Dustin because of his, his how flashy that side is, but Manorino, solid fast court player. No, I understand he's a solid fast Did you watch the match? I remember the match. Brown played terribly. Okay. <laughs> Brown, t- Brown t- played a terrible match. Um, but but better this time around. But, uh, you know, great win for Dustin Brown. The story, obviously, is going to be about Rafael Nadal and, and what it means, if it means anything at all. I mean... How's the panic button doing, Courtney? I mean, the, the panic button is where it was after he, you know, played that pretty not great match against Novak at, at the French Open. It, it's pretty much at the same level. I think, I mean, I still think that Rafa will be fine. What does fine mean, yeah, exactly. though? Right? What I mean, does fine mean? You know, I think that he'll be... I think by the end of the season, he'll be top five again. Okay. I do think that. Um, I think, well, I have to look at it after Wimbledon to see where all the numbers are after for everybody else that's around there. But I do. I, I, I think that he'll find a way. I, I, just, I just really do. I was asked about this after this, the day of this match and some interview I was doing, and what they're interviewing me, which was always weird. And I said, the thing I said more confidently is I don't think Nadal will ever be number one again. Yeah. I think that oh, we've, yeah. no, I I totally that we've passed the point where he is easily on the, the downhill of his career. The um, question is how fa- fast he keeps rolling downhill yeah. and if he can sort of hit the brakes at all. Um, he, Nadal was as sad as I've ever seen him. We talk about sort yeah. of the delusion of confidence or whatever for Nadal was like, seemed kind of crushed by this one. He was like, I did everything right. I think that I was went the to, thing, I went yeah. to I went to Stuttgart, you guys. Yeah. No, I mean, I yeah. think that that was the big, the big thing with him is he's like, you know, when I look back at my past Wimbledons, like uh, last year, maybe not, but like the two years before, I wasn't fit. I wasn't 100%. So I understood those losses. Here I did everything. The preparation was good. I was feeling confident. And it was very clear that he thought he had a run in him and did not see this loss coming. Yeah, I didn't think he had a run. I mean, once Ferrer pulled out, I thought he'd make quarters, but is that kind of a run for him? Yeah, no, I, I don't. No. I, I didn't see him getting past Murray, no. which is why I was just, I just never really was talking about Rafa before the tournament. No. Um, Murray looks third at the semi still, by the way, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that, the thing about Murray, because people were, I was talking to a few people who I was saying, yeah, no, I actually pick him to win the title. And they're like, how can you pick that guy to win the title when he's in, like, such a rough section of the draw with Federer and Nadal and... Ferrer and whatever, I was like, I don't think, and it's like Songa, I was like, I don't think any of those guys are getting there. I don't think he's going to have to play a lot of those guys. I think he's going to play Federer. I think he might, yeah, I think he'll play Federer for sure, because I don't, I don't see Burdick or Simone beating Federer. Or Batista Agut. Well, I obviously didn't mention him for a reason. You could have seen Courtney's face when she said that. It was pretty amusing. Her Batista Agut face is pretty great. It's pretty burr. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I, I kind of wasn't sure he was going to face Nadal. I didn't think he was 
he's going to uh, necessarily I face Song. I thought Song was going to go out early. So, yeah, it, it's really not that bad of a draw if you don't have to face those people that everybody keeps thinking are, like, your biggest threats. Can we pour one out for the British Russell match that never was? Sorry, man. That I know you tough. wanted it. I so wanted bad. it. Russell was up two sets to one on Andujar and lost it. Tough. The world would have been... I, I, did I want it? I did. Um, yeah, Federer... I think, I think it's still Federer... Murray semi and yep. toss up from there, kind of essentially. Pretty much, it'll be fun. Pretty much. So, other hopes, dreams, Wimbledon thoughts, impressions so far before we get to formal rant rave. Hmm, Wimbledon impressions. There was a fire. Yeah, that day was weird. A tree fell down outside of the grounds. There was this ridiculous code. Will the secretary please report to the conservatory? Yeah, there was like, some, like, was like some security code. Yeah, sec- it is security code, and then because after a while it was like. The secretary is no longer needed at the at the conservatory, and I'm like, you guys have like the worst codes. I feel like maybe ever since you broke Enigma, you haven't been able to put a code together ever again. Yeah, no, I mean it's same old, same old. It's Wimbledon. I mean, the there have been some renovations around the grounds, particularly within the media center. All oh, that's behind the scenes stuff. You guys don't give a shit. So, um, yeah, ready to rant. Sure. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenge Remaining. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can send us questions for upcoming show, no challenge remaining at gmail.com or any hopes, wishes, dreams, begu facts, whatever. We'll take anything Rash and everything. Facts. Rash facts. <laughs> no pictures though, please. Um, and, yeah, if you want to subscribe to the show on your RSS feed or your podcast app, you can do so. We're on iTunes. Subscribe to us there. Leave us reviews. All that stuff is awesome. And here's our rant corner. you want to go first or second, Courtney? I'll go second. Okay. I have a mini rant and another mini rant. It's just two. Uh, the first one is about Apple Firewires, which is a thing that you, the thing you use to connect to an iPhone 5 and above. I have gone through... Six of them on this trip, and they've all broken, including the one you gave me at the Paris. It stopped working fairly shortly after. You're, it was kind of broken when you gave it to me. Can I? Can I fairness. just? Can I? Can I pop in here? Yeah. In defense of these cables. I'm not doing anything to them. That's such a lie. No, I've I'm not. seen. I've seen the way that you treat your cables. No, that's not true. I, for these, I haven't been doing. I've been like, treating these like they were like baby sparrows. I've been so maybe, gentle with them. Maybe, maybe, but I've and seen I brought the some way like knockoff. They weren't all real. Like two of them, like three of them were like the cheap Chinese. Okay, if they're the knockoffs, the one I gave you was not a knockoff. So but I it was apologize already broken. It broke. Yeah, okay. it was already like. Broken uh, that's on probably the why I gave it to you. I know, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, at some point, you are going to have to realize that the way that you treat these cables is. You were important. just seeing this from one time in my car. I had like a cable like no, coiled up. No, 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 no. No, I mean, I I've seen you when you take your laptop and you still leave the cables plugged into your. To no, your I don't thing. do that. Yeah, and then you put it into your backpack. You have, dude. Trust me, I've been around you a lot. I've seen it many multiple times. I deny this fully. Anyway, Apple make better products. Chinese knockoff people make better knockoffs. Whole don't thing buy Chinese knockoffs of cables. Whole thing is bullshit. This cable should be better. Um, the other thing, speaking of Wimbledon, new media restaurant. It's really cool. It's open 24 hours. That's a new first thing for a Grand Slam. Makes it so you can essentially live there, which I don't, luckily, but it's there. And one of the things, they have the new, like, pizza station and stuff like that. But the thing that I usually go to the other area, and they're on the salad bar yesterday, 4th of July, there was this big American flag cake with, like, a big flag that said, like, July 4th. It was like a birthday cake. Like, oh, happy birthday, America. Thank you so much. And they're cutting into these little tiny pieces. It had a little price stand. It said, like, cake bites, £2.70. 
for this tiny piece of cake. These British people are charging us for our own birthday cake. This is exactly why, exactly why we have to leave these guys in the first place. This is why the revolution happened. This, this is, is why, why July 4th is a tea notable day. Overboard. People were, I tweeted that. People were like, dump the cake in the harbor. And I'm like, I totally agree. It was a disrespectful birthday cake. No one, was, no one was eating it. It like stayed like completely intact. No one was paying. It was not a big piece of cake. It was like maybe yay big, plus yay tall. It was small. It was a cake bite, accurately named, not accurately priced. Who charged a birthday cake? Especially, like, it's a cake. It's a gift. Gosh, Britain. Just annoying us again. Courtney, your turn. That was hilarious. I appreciated it. I did not see the cake because I normally go to the pizza stand. Um, sure, okay. So my first is actually a rave. I have to say that the Wimbledon iPhone app, which I, I haven't used the iPad app, but the Wimbledon iPhone app may just be the tennis killer app of all the majors. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is this push notifications the push notifications for the Wimbledon app which they only affect like the seeds you have to go in and basically make all the seeds your favorites effectively but when you do that it tells you when they arrive on court that they're warming up when the match starts and then at the end of each set the score and it pushes to your phone it is phenomenal it's a game changer at the majors when 20,000 things are happening at a single time um, for you to be able to get those alerts and to, to therefore know what's going on uh, everywhere so I have to say well done to the Wimbledon team. Alex Willis, who was our guest uh, a couple weeks ago, they've, they've done really well with that. And um, I think all the other slams need to learn from it um, because it is a total game changer. That's one. I agree. Yes. Uh, number two, I'm going to rant. Weirdly, I don't know. Is this a rant? We're going to find out. But uh, we'll see how this goes as I start talking. England, your women's national team did great. You guys got bronze, uh, played valiantly. Yeah, I mean, you know, played valiantly, played well, very unexpected. I don't think anybody would have picked England to beat Germany, that's for damn sure, nope. uh, for the third place game um, and everything. Heartbreaking way to lose that game against Japan. It should have been you guys. It should have been U.S. Japan and, and, and England today, midnight, on July 5th, playing in the final. That would have been epic. It would have been awesome. Heartbreaking way to lose it. A terrible own goal in the 92nd minute. Terrible in the sense that it was just really unlucky. It was so unlucky. She didn't, it wasn't it, like she did No, no, no. She didn't, it wasn't a bonehead play. It was just unlucky trajectory of the ball, trajectory of the foot. They met, uh, hit the underside of the crossbar what or whatever. What a strike. It was an incredible strike. Um, so, you know, obviously you feel bad. There comes a point where the sympathy for Laura Bassett who, who is the, the, the defender who hit that goal, kind of reached this point of condescension. Oh, quickly. A level of, oh, we feel so bad for her, that um, actually just makes it seem like this was like this backyard game, like this girl lost and everybody... I mean, because you wouldn't have treated any of the guys that way. When Lauren Sesselman of Canada played an absolute shite game to lose to you guys, England. She got absolutely obliterated on Twitter. It was made clear in post-match analysis by commentators, pundits. She is the reason that they lost. She played an absolutely terrible game. And I'm not saying that that's okay. Like she, no Why one, isn't it okay? But I'm saying like no one should like have to sit there and like deal with like Twitter abuse. No, but if, right? if someone clearly was the reason the team lost the game, people are saying, 
You're, oh, I don't mean like right. at Laura Sussman, I mean like go die. Right, right. But right, right. people saying like people not at him being like they lost because Sussman Sussman was terrible. Right. No, this fail. is totally this is totally yeah. what I mean. Exactly. Right. Like mm-hmm. if it's sport, it's sport. And in sport, if you want to treat women's sport and make it seem like it's a legit real thing, then you apply the same analytical cap to it, regardless of whether the person has a penis or a vagina. And you don't eviscerate someone for like an own goal. And not of this, I mean, and, and obviously these are different situations because Laura Bassett actually played, I mean, Laura Bassett didn't do anything wrong, really. Like, this was just bad luck. And so people were like, oh, bad luck. You know, but then it, it went to, oh, England, you tried. And all of that is all legit. Like, it really is because England came out of nowhere and they were such underdogs and everything. But there was a part of me that as I was watching it kind of unfold, I was like, man, I'm really glad that the U.S. is past this. I'm really glad, and this goes towards some of my rants and discussions over the last few weeks about the Women's World Cup. That I am glad that I am in a situation where, like, the women's well, the U.S. women's national team is treated like a team, like any other team, and you can criticize, and you have the right to criticize every single one of them. And no one likes Hope Solo. No one likes Hope Solo. Abby Wambach is a divisive figure. You know, if you read most of like the pre-match stuff, uh, anal- uh, analytical pieces with respect to the U.S. women's team, you're talking about formations and tactics and who needs to drop back, and you know, you're talking about it from a very technical place. And I really appreciate that, as opposed to like, look at these lionesses go and play. Oh, they're they're trying their hearts out. I'm like, yeah, that's the stuff that I tell like, you know, a, a team of middle schoolers. But like, once you start playing competitively, it's like, no, your point is to win. And it should be treated like equals, and maybe a little bit more prize money. And definitely that. I mean, if you guys haven't read Caitlin Murray's piece. Um, and on The Guardian about um, the differential in prize money purses and also uh, just generally between the Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup, it is shocking. It doesn't need to be equal. It doesn't need to be equal. But it's completely ridiculous right 15 now. million is the total prize money purse for the Women's World Cup. The Men's World Cup is 576 million. Yeah. That is an absurd gap. Absurd. Absolutely absurd. The winner of the Women's World Cup gets $2 million. The winner of the Men's World Cup gets $35 million. No one's saying that they should be paid the same. You know, we're not pretending that, but... You don't need a 17-to-1 ratio. Yeah, yeah. that's absurd, that's and it's obscene, saying. and it's it, and turf. And anyway, read Caitlin Murray's piece. It's very good. I like to think that we are occasionally absurd and obscene, but I feel like we weren't really too much this week. Not too bad. Pretty good behavior. We'll see you guys after the tournament, probably. I don't think we're going to come back before then. Uh, enjoy the rest of Wimbledon. Who knows what will happen. Balls will bounce. Bye, guys. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, God. We're going to lose Japan. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Use your eyes to look up. Use your ears to hear. Walk up to the corner when the coast is clear. And wait. And wait until you see the light turn green. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle.